God, we thank you that we're able to come here together to, to study this most amazing time that we're in. And Father, I ask that you uh, open our ears and our hearts to your word. And Father, that we receive any anything within us that needs to be repented of. And that we are mature enough to accept it as truth, that we are in need of that, and that we do take care of our um, spiritual house cleaning. And Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, the beauty of sunshine, of fellowship and friendship, through Yeshua. Amen. Uh, Teshuvah is a, a really a, an odd time. It was an odd time for me. When I first started this, I'd heard about it. You know, I'd heard teachers kind of touch on it, but I'd never heard any detailed or any in-depth uh, teaching on it. So it was something I knew that we were supposed to do, but I didn't do it simply because I didn't know what to do. You know, repentance to me is something you should be doing all the time, not just within a certain time frame. But when I started understanding that it was on God's calendar, you know, and it was there for a specific reason in that place, and uh, well, I had a home study group in Oberlin, of all places, uh, one of the ladies there introduced me to a, a little study guide that I'll go over in a little bit with you that put me on a path of understanding how to actually go about that. Because anytime you start something new like this, you do need uh, structure. And um, it, it's just real important that um, it's a significant time for us individually and equally important corporately. And I think that that's the whole purpose of setting aside that 40 days is for everybody to participate so that the body can be cleaned and not just parts of it, but the entire body. Uh, but if you're not familiar with uh, this season and you haven't experienced it, I strongly urge you to take it really seriously. Uh, the word teshuvah is mentioned almost a thousand times in scripture, and the first mention is in Genesis 3.19 when God told Adam that he would return to the earth. Now, he was going one way, but then he was going to go back yet another. Uh, so let's start with the timing. Teshuvah takes place in the month of Elul, which is where we are now, uh, and goes into the month of Tishri, which is where we see all the fall feasts. Uh, Elul is a six-month, on whatever calendar you want to call it, I call it the biblical religious, but it is the, it's Moedim, or feast-centric calendar. It's God's cycles. Uh, it's a month set apart for repentance, for intercession, and preparation for the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which brings us into Sukkot, where God dwells with us. And uh, Tishri 9-7 is uh, Rosh Hashanah, and uh, 9-16 is Yom Kippur on our calendar this year. Uh, but we see a beautiful pattern found in the month of Elul. It's when the king is in the field. He walks freely among his people, but he's not just wandering around. He's inspecting the harvest, which should make us go, ooh. But it's the harvest of his people. What are they producing? So, again, we need to watch what we're producing. It, it is a time. It's not just words. But the king is on his way to the gates of the city to be crowned and ultimately enthroned as king. And uh, while he's in the field doing this inspection, he is, you can approach him. You don't have all the protocol. Once he is on his throne and is king, you can't do that just willy-nilly. You have to follow certain protocol at that point. So now is a really good time. Not that we can't approach God through Yeshua. I'm not saying that. But again, corporately, uh, Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 says, Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return, Teshuvah, to Yahweh and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And that's exciting news for us, right? And that's in Isaiah. Uh, Another interesting thing I learned in all of this, not Teshuvah, but in just the, this walk, is that each month is ascribed to a tribe. Did you know that? That each month is. This month, Elul is ascribed to Gad, and it on the 
the breastplate. It is the agate stone, and the, it, in Hebrew it's shivo, and it means to carry, to carry away. And it's the root word where we see shuv, it means to turn, like making a, a U-turn. It implies turning from one thing and away from yet another. Uh, turning from sin and the focus is returning to God. True teshuvah is not repenting of the same sin over and over and over. That is not true teshuvah. It, it's not. It's turning away from it. Uh, and the focus is on God and his forgiveness and his mercy and not on the particular sin that we're, we're fighting. 2 Peter 2.22 says, Just as a dog returns to his vomit, a fool repeats his folly. And that's a quote from Proverbs 26. And it goes on. As the pig washes itself only to wallow in the mud. So if you're repenting of something, if you think you're repenting of something and you continually keep doing it, then you, you really need to, to check your commitment to the repented uh, words that you're speaking. Uh, and then we all know about the, the, the man who cleans his house and is spotless, but he, and he leaves it. This man didn't fill his house with the good things of God. He left it empty. And so the same evil spirit returns, and the man is seven times, excuse me, worse than when he started. So, I mean, you see these little uh, parables, analogies all, all through Scripture. Um, but how many of us have been on one kind of diet or another to lose weight more specifically? I mean, everybody I, I know of, I mean, there are a few people that are skinny and will die skinny and can eat, <laughs> eat like a whatever they want, a horse, I guess. And I'm, I don't know where their metabolism comes from, but I would like a transference of it. But... Uh, but if you're on a diet, you think of two things. The food you can't have, I mean, it's just the focus. <gasps> I can't have dessert, I can't have dessert, I can't have dessert. And then you think, oh, but I can have, you know, this, this, and this, and this. So in an attempt to lose weight, you stop the dessert, but then you pig out on all this other stuff, thinking you can eat your way into losing weight. And you can't. <laughs> You've got to, you have to adjust it. And not only do you, you might lose a little weight, but the weight you lost will come back. And like the, the, the spirit who returns seven times worse, you will gain more weight back. So we have to watch where our focus is during this time. But it has to be on the goodness and mercy of our Father. And we want relationship with him. Just like the focus if on a diet, if you focus on the good health, that you're trying to get to, not so much the vanity of how you look, but your health, it's easier. It's easier because it's beneficial for you. Um, I heard someone say one time, because smoking is a hard thing to stop. They say it's worse than trying to stop heroin. You know, it's, it's really, really addictive. And uh, this person was struggling terribly with smoking habit. I mean, tried everything, patches, everything. And so the, and I forget who it was, but the, the commentators asked the, the person, said, you can't stop or you, th you think you can't stop? He said, I disagree with you. You can stop. You're just not properly motivated. He said, what if I took your child and told you, if you don't stop smoking in one week, I'm going to murder your child. Would you stop smoking? And he said, yeah. So he said, in reality, you can. You're just not properly motivated to do it. So we, our motivation in Teshuvah is get, turning away from the sin, and our motivation should be proper relationship with the Father. There should be no other reason for it. Uh, but during the spring feast, which we just finished, uh, we look back and rejoice over our past redemption and deliverance. That, that's in the past. And during the fall feast, we look forward to our future deliverance and return of our King. So they all have significance, but during this time, it's a time for the bride to prepare for the return uh, and to be ready to hear the sound of the great shofar. It, it's all about house cleaning. Uh, we find several events, 10 that I came up with. You may find more uh, if, if you're a studier. Uh, the events that happened during the month of Elul in scripture. We all know about Moses on Mount Sinai. 
Uh, it is believed that Jonah gave the people of Nineveh uh, 40 days to repent on Elul 1. Ezekiel was shown the abominations in the temple on the 5th of Elul, and he was taken up by the hair and by the spirit and lifted between heaven and earth and was shown Jerusalem and all the abominations that were going on um, in the, the city and in the temple. And then it is believed that the ten spies who gave the bad report died on Elul 8. Uh, Noah sends out the raven on the 10th of Elul, and Noah sends out the dove on the 17th of Elul. Look at the, the dates, the 10th of Elul, the 17th, and then we come to the dove returns with the olive leaf on the 24th. Remember the dates that we just talked about, the feast days, right? Uh, and if you go back into that, into the study of Noah, and go back on the, the other calendar where Tishri is actually the first month and superimpose these dates over that, you'll find an interesting pattern in that also. Uh, it is believed that creation began on the 25th of Elul and Adam was created on the 1st of Tishri. Nehemiah, the wall was completed on Elul 25. And then there's one that I love, and it, it's a pattern. I can't say with 100% certainty of the date and the timing of it, but let's just say for the sake of pattern, uh, Yeshua's mikvah was on Elul 1. Then he went into the wilderness for how many days? 40, 40 days. Then he comes out of the wilderness and goes into the temple, opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61, and reads part of, part of the way through, and he stops, and he, uh, he talks about the year of Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord. And what did they do to him? What did they want to do to him? How? What do they do with the Azazel goat on Yom Kippur? Off the cliff. So you see the patterns. And again, I can't say with 100% certainty that it happened exactly like that, but there is a pattern there. Uh, it's a very, that's a, just a very brief overview of Teshuvah and, and the timing uh, in the 40 days. Uh, the, but then we have the end of Elul and then the 10 days between that and the 10th of Tishri, and they're called the 10 days of awe. And it's the Yamin Noraim, and this is the final chance to repent. That, you know, like, that's it. And uh, to get your spiritual house in order, uh, and it's before the books are closed and judgment is rendered on Yom Kippur. And I suspect there will be a future Yom Kippur when that will actually happen. Then let's talk a little bit about the, the 40, the, the things in 40, 40 days, 40 years. We know that uh, Noah's flood was 40 days. Uh, and we just talked about Jonah giving the people of Nineveh 40 days to repent. But Jonah came to town after these people had experienced, think where we are, had experienced plague, civil war, uh, earthquakes. What else did they have? Oh, uh, I think it was an eclipse of the sun, a volcano. All of these things had, had happened. And pagans see like the eclipse of the sun and everything is a real ominous sign. And then here comes Jonah. I don't know what kind of beast swallowed him, or if indeed it was, but let's just say that the, the great fish did. Can you imagine being that many days inside of a, any kind of animal and the digestive fluids, what it would have done to Middle Eastern skin? You know, he had to look blotchy. So here he comes in, you know, I heard one teacher say, covered in seaweed and, and vomit, you know, and like, repent. <laughs> and these people are already freaked completely out from what they've been through. So it wasn't a big deal, you know, for them to repent. They were looking for, for some kind of salvation at that point. Anyway, I just thought that was, was kind of funny. Not really, but somewhat funny. But again, Moses fled to Midian. Uh, and tended sheep for 40 years after he killed an Egyptian at the age of 40. We see Moses' life broken down into three groups of 40 years. And so this was one of them. And then we see again Moses at Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, two times. 
and the spies, the 12 spies, took 40 days to spy out Canaan. And Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. Uh, Israel served the Philistines for 40 years before Samson's deliverance. Goliath taunted Saul's army for 40 days before David showed up. And Elijah fled from Jezebel, traveling 40 days and nights to Mount Horeb. And Yeshua was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And then there are 40 days from Yeshua's resurrection to his ascension. And that's during what? Hello, crickets. The Omer count. Another little obscure thing of, of, of timing and repentance. Okay, But if you're keeping up with the weekly Torah portions, the telling of Moses and the children of Israel should remind us of Teshuvah. It was, I believe, the very first one. When Moses came down from the mountain with the first set of tablets and we, he found the golden calf incident, uh, he broke the tablets, dealt with the idolatrous people, went back up to Mount Sinai to intercede for them, and on the first of Elul, Moses began a 40-day period of prayer, fasting, and intercession for the rebels on the ground. Um, meanwhile, back in the camp, <laughs> you have a bunch of people that were probably shaking in their sandals at this point because they knew that they were in serious trouble because when Moses came down, we saw that there was a whole, a whole bunch of them. I forget how many died because of that. So now they're hanging in the balance if God is going to forgive them or not. So they're waiting these 40 days. The first 40 days, they were sure that Moses was just MIA and, you know, there was no hope and that they needed to do something. Now they're in a different mindset. Uh, Moses descended on the 10th of Tishri, which is on Yom Kippur, with the second set of tablets with the good news that God had shown them mercy and forgiveness. And that is good news indeed. And it was during the time that Moses was on the mountain that we see the 13 attributes of God. And you may ask yourself, well, why is that so important? Because it breaks down the loving character, uh, covenant-keeping, faithful father we have. And that, uh, that we need to understand that, that sin separates us from him. It breaks his heart. So when we sin, we shouldn't just be repentant because we got caught we should just be heartbroken that we did that to him, that we actually hurt him. But uh, it starts off with Yahweh, the, the yod heh vav -Heh, and it speaks of his covenant-keeping, unchanging nature. And it says the yod heh vav -Heh again, and it emphasizes his unchanging character and his mercy, which gives us great faith that he never changes. Uh, and then God, or El, the creator, king, and his great capacity for mercy. And in compassion, it's rachum, as a child in the womb, that you care for an innocent child. Uh, gracious, hanan, and showers grace and favor to the undeserving. And aren't we glad for that? Uh, slow to anger, irek pai amin, patiently waits for you to repent. He's patient, he's long-suffering. You know, I, I look at our, our country and the things that are going on, and I think, how can, he, how can he not do something? Because he's patient and he's understanding. Uh, abundant in loving kindness uh, to both the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's Rav Hased. Truth, he is fair and equitable in his justice, Emet. Keeps loving kindness for thousands of generations. His generational covenant devotion is boundless. Praise God. And that's Natsar Chesed Alafim. And uh, forgives iniquity. That's intentional sins. And that's Nosei Avon. Forgives transgressions, excuse me, rebellious sins. Nosei Pesha. Forgives sin. Nosei Chata'a. Inadvertent sins. And who cleanses Nikkei, and um, he cleanses our sins. He provided Yeshua to do just that. So how grateful are we, right? Uh, so Yeshua spoke when asked what was the greatest commandment, and in Matthew 22, uh, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands, all the law and the prophets hang. Now, we all know that, right? But do we understand our part in that? Teshuvah requires not only asking God and others for forgiveness, but also forgiving others in order to receive God's forgiveness. So we are active participants in that. I myself find the hardest thing to do is self-forgiveness. I have a real good way of beating myself up, and, and I shouldn't. And I, and I have to make an effort not to because that's saying God did not forgive me, that I am not worthy of forgiveness. That's, that's not a good place to be. So I've, I've really had to work on that over the, the years. And honestly, I find it easier to ask God for forgiveness than another person. That, that makes me nervous, but I do what you have to do. The Catholics have it all over us, that they have to go sit with a priest and have to confess their sins to another human being. And from what I've heard of some of these priests, they are less than kind. <laughs> One fellow had not been to a confession in, like, since his communion, and he was like in his 20s, and they said the priest just railed all over him, you know. And if you wait that long, you probably can't think of too much that you did wrong, you know, because you've probably forgotten it, you know, but it's, it's there. It's there. <laughs> but there are many scriptures that talk about repentance and forgiveness. One is in Mark 11, 25, 26. And again, all of these are going to be familiar to you but are you practicing them? It says, whenever you stand praying, now, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Now, that's a broad statement. Anything against anyone. What about someone that cut you off in traffic, took your parking place, uh, I don't know, anything. The, the, the people in Walmart, when you have to wait four hours to get out, you know, and everybody's getting cranky. You know, where, where does it stop? We have to watch the little things. Uh, Matthew 18, 21, 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You know, Peter's thinking that, that's enough. Seven times, that should be sufficient, right? And Yeshua tells him, no, seven times seven. And Yeshua did not mean 490 times. He meant as long as this other person is asking for forgiveness, you have to forgive them. And that's, that's not easy. Somebody keep treating you badly like that time after time after time. It makes it very, very difficult. And I'm sure that, that that's a study probably all in itself. Luke 23, 34. Yeshua asked for forgiveness as others as he was being crucified. When he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Can you imagine? Has anyone done something so bad to you that you can't forgive them, that Yeshua can? And you think, well, okay, well, that was just Yeshua. Well, let's look in Acts 7, where Stephen is taken out to be stoned. It says, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I'd like to think that all people who are martyred like that, you know, I think about those, those men that were on the ocean front getting ready to be beheaded, you know, and they were praying. You know, I would, I would hope that that was part of their prayer, that they, they took that to heart, you know. I really believe that Stephen's spirit was removed from him before one stone hit him. Because he saw into the heavens, he saw into the glory, he saw Yeshua. And Yeshua stands up, stands up at, from the right hand of God to uh, welcome him into the, the kingdom. But the, the mob cried out, you know, to stone him. And Stephen's reply was, Master, Yeshua, speaking to Yeshua that he's seeing now, receive my spirit. And that's when I believe he died at that point. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Master, do not charge them with this sin. And then I believe he was taken before one stone hit him. 
That's my belief, okay? I can't. Then we have another group of people in Revelation 6, and that's at the opening of the fifth seal, and it speaks of the souls under the altar who had been martyred for the word of their testimony. And uh, we, we see that throughout the book of Revelation. I was just talking to Brady about the book of Revelation. The overcomers are those that hold to the, the, uh, the testimony of Yeshua and the blood of the Lamb. They are the over overcomers, and those who are not willing to love their lives unto death. So these are these people, these saints under the altar. And they're crying out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're crying out for the goel, for the goel hadam, for the, the uh, what am I trying to say, the avenger, the avenger of their blood. And he, they're told no. Not now, not until the full number of the saints who have, are to be martyred are there. Then the revenge will, will come. But uh, so you got all these, these places of people. Now in Revelation, I think it is past a point of redemption for, all, for most of the people. Uh, I did a study years and years ago with a lady, and she called them the earth dwellers. <laughs> and they were the ones that were not just gone you know there was no reaching them they were completely deprived and so or depraved so I think that that's who they're they're talking about but they're under the altar crying out crying out for justice uh, in Matthew 6 12 it says forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us now we know that when we should know it by heart but uh, it's hard, you know, when, when people continually hurt you and hurt you and hurt you. And there are some people that are just toxic in our lives. You know, they just wreak havoc. And that's not to say that you need to keep them in your life, but you are to forgive them, you know, and release them in forgiveness. And that's not easy, but nobody said it was supposed to be. Okay? Uh, Matthew 6.15 says, Here's the reason that you have to do it. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So if you need motivation, that should be it. But there are a lot of resources to help you go through these 40 days if you're not sure what to do or how to do it. I know online it's probably a ton of them. I'm not an online study kind of person. I need my books. I need to be able to write it down. I need to go back, back and forth, back and forth. And I don't like reading that it wreaks havoc with my eyes. You may do it, and that's great. I'm happy for you, but I can't. So I need my, my books. Um, this one is the one that I've recommended for a bunch of years. It's this, this little book. And um, if you need the website or anything, I can give it to you later. But it, it's really good if you're not familiar with this. Uh, this author goes into all kinds of, not just teshuvah, but background, feast days, uh, covenants. I mean, it's just a great resource to keep if you have library things going on. But if you're new to this, I highly recommend you, you get one of these to keep, to keep on your, your shelf or whatever you do. Now, this one, I didn't recommend it earlier, because I hadn't done it yet. But it's 40 days of Teshuvah to Yom Kippur. And it's really good. <laughs> I mean, this woman does not mind stepping all over your toes. I mean, she's, she's vicious. It's, she's a, a, a rabbi, a rabbin, Deborah Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T. And she goes through, it's called the Al-Hat Al Messianic Jewish Confessional Prayers. And there are 40 of them. And it's one a day, and she breaks it down to what it means and how to apply it and how you are to be accountable. But the, these prayers are said up to nine times on Yom Kippur, and it's the prayers um, that you see that, that a lot will beat their heart, and it is to, to break your heart. Uh, a contrite heart, broken contrite heart, is the only thing that's going to get you through that. But it, I would recommend this also. Um, I'll, I'll start it earlier next year. I got it late this year. 
so I didn't get a chance to do it. And I think she makes one, too, on the counting of the Omer, which I think we need study guides on because it's very fluid. You know, the Omer counts, you're not sure what to do, and, you know, and I don't know. It's, anyway, I, we all need structure. I do. Maybe you don't. I do. But she goes in uh, one that I just went, whoa, uh, shared it with Mike. She talks about one that's Lashon Hara, the, the evil, evil tongue, you know, and that how we have the ability to hurt other people. And she said it's not sufficient when you hurt someone and say, well, I really didn't mean that. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> you really did mean it because that thing started in your head someplace, I mean, that thought started in your head about that person, fell down into your heart, and spewed out of your mouth like venom. It was there, okay? So we have to be careful what happens up here in your mind during that time, because it's going to come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, what speaks? The mouth, okay? That nasty little old tongue. Uh, but, <laughs> but see this as your 40 days in the wilderness, who wants to be in the wilderness, right? That sounds terrible, but that's what this is. It's a time in the wilderness for us, and it's preparation for your purpose. You know, what if you're not doing this, and at the end of it, you're not ready to do what God has planned for you because you still have unrepented sin, you know, that you're holding on to, not aware of. Uh, for whatever reason, it's there, okay? Um, but it's a time to restore broken relationships with each other and with God, you know, and it's just a great, great thing. Uh, and, but it's a time of testing, which nobody likes to, to hear about either. In Deuteronomy 13.3, the Israelites were told uh, that this time in the wilderness was to test them to see if they love God with all their hearts and soul and to walk after his commands, to obey his voice, serve him and hold fast to him. This is spoken to us now, that we need to, we're being tested. I don't know about you, but this past month has just been horrific for us. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, what else, you know? But it's like I need it to, to get done. But it's a good time of testing, of, of squeezing to see what will come out of you. And in Psalm 7, 9, it says, oh, Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous, God tests the hearts and minds. So if you're being tested, it's because you are righteous. And he wants you to be pure and clean. So that's a good thing. So, uh, so when we hear James or Jacob, whichever you want to call him, in uh, chapter 1, it says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfected and complete, lacking nothing. So remember, according to Psalms 11, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, he hates. So you're being tested because he loves you. Um, repentance is a topic that usually makes most people very uncomfortable. It's much like evangelizing people. <laughs> you know, they said evangelizing people scares two groups, the one who is doing it and the one who is receiving it. Neither one wants any part of it. You know? so, but repentance is something we need to, we need to do. And it's, it's not pretty because it shows the ugly side of us. You know, and like I said, I'm more comfortable telling God because he already knows. But to repent to somebody else, I'm like, oh, they're going to judge me harshly. And they might, <laughs> but you still need to do it for your own welfare. Uh, but it requires a lot of soul-searching, accountability, without excuse. Mike used to tell his boys, do, do such and such by the time I get back, and I will accept no excuses. I said, oh, well, that's good. I don't know if you remember that or not. But I was like, okay, that works. You know, it kind of like, don't want to hear it. You do it, or there's going to be something to be paid because I'm not going to hear your excuses for it and that's kind of what we have to do is to be without excuse be mature enough to bear your soul to God because he already knows but he needs you to repent of it and we need to be willing to change to change our behavior you know if there's something in our lives 
that is really causing some distance between us and our Father or other people, we need to get rid of that. We really do need to get rid of it. it it's freeing. It gives you peace. But we tend to like our comfortable little lives and going, I know me, I like my routines, <laughs> go about our little lives and our daily activities thinking that we don't have any real sin problem right now. You know, I, every once in a while something may slip out of my mouth that I shouldn't or I think something, but it's not too bad. I can just kind of confess it right there as it happens because the Holy Spirit will kind of, you if you're listening, you'll get that little edgy, ooh, ooh thing. You know, and so repent right away by all means. But don't think that, that you're so good that, that you don't need to do some serious soul searching too. Especially when we look in the world today, what's going on just within the United States right now. You know, the lies, the deceits, the murdering of children, the, the, the kidnapping, sex slavery. I mean, I, could, I don't have to tell you all. You, you hear and read things. You know, it's, it's horrible what's going on right now. So if you compare your sin to that, you don't look so bad. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. You know, it's separation from him. So you don't want to, to come any close to that. Um, there are many, um, there are many things that, that, that happen in this world that should be breaking your heart. And if you can, pray for those people who are doing it. Pray that they are forgiven, that they come to a place of repentance and forgiveness. Uh, but we tend to ascribe repentance to the lost in order to get into the kingdom. I mean, we do when we think of repentance. A repented sinner has come, you know. But have you ever thought that repentance is what keeps you in the kingdom? And that not being repentant could keep you out of the kingdom or put you in a place in the kingdom you really don't want to be, okay? And that God will continue testing you and trying you and putting things in your life round and round the mountain until you do or until you come into a complete place of rebellion that you are expelled from the kingdom. And nobody wants that to happen. But in 1 John 1, 8 and 20, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned and make him a liar, and the word is not in us. So there's no one in here who doesn't sin. All of us do. You know, and it's important that we stay on top of it. But we, we shouldn't live like we're I said, like beating ourselves up, that we're filthy, dirty people. You know, because that, that's not the case. We are righteous people that want to stay clean and stay that way. And uh, repentance is the way, way to do it. But unrepentant sin is a, is a progression, and it ends up in moral depravity. We don't get up one morning and decide that we're going to, I think today I'll go into child sex slavery. You know, it's just a, by, no, that doesn't happen. You know, it starts off with these little sins, and then they grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and then before you know it, that you're into the, the end of it. But uh, there is a progression of sin, and I found this, and I, I said, this is really interesting. The first part is sin, the hata'ah, and it, it means to miss the mark, and we know that. We've all heard that. That's not the only, that's not where it stops. Then you go into transgression, pesha. It means a revolt, to break away. Uh, from just authority. Uh, I lived in a neighborhood in Houston many years ago when my son was, was little, and there were many Jewish neighbors, and their children were part of our, the, the play group that was always there. And I, I heard the, the mothers and the fathers sometimes when the children were misbehaving, they would say, you little Tisha, what in the world are they calling these kids? You know, I'm thinking, I, I had no idea until I read some of this. They were calling them a little rebel, you know? <laughs> Don't call your kids that. It's not a good idea. But, uh, I mean, over and over and over, I would hear them say that, oh, pisha. So it's, it's not a term of endearment. And then we have iniquity, the avon. It means perversity or to twist or to distort. And we just did the shema. It means to hear and obey. Um, so we're talking about the next sin. 
Uh, Deuteronomy 28 says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and shall pursue you. And remember David in truth and righteousness, pursue me all the days of my life. It means it's going to track you down. Okay? So here it's talking about the curses are going to track you down, overtake you, and destroy you because the hardest in your heart to not obey the voice of Yahweh your God to keep his commands and his statutes which he commanded you. So to not obey is not Shema, but it's Shema. And it means to refuse to hear. You have the ability to, but you go, mm-mm, I don't want to hear that. No, 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 no. That does not coexist with my lifestyle. I don't want to hear it or for whatever reason. Uh, we are to serve God. So the next part that follows is direct refusal, and it, it leads to idolatry. And in Deuteronomy 8 and 9, and it shall be, if you do, do, if, excuse me, if thou do at all forget Yahweh your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish. So we have to make sure that we're not setting up a god, an idol in our hearts. You know, I know that nobody here bows to Buddha or whoever the other things are. I don't know. But there may be things that you're putting in front, and I'm not saying that they're idols, but God should be first, be first in your life, so be careful. Then we have refusal to serve God. It's abad. It means to work with any sense by implication to serve, enslave, but it brings you into bondage. It brings you into bondage. So here we see in a progression. And now we progress into acting treacherously. Um, and, and that's where we get the word trespass. In Numbers 31.6, And Moses sent them to war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Pincus, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to war with the holy instruments and the trumpets to be blown in his hand. So to act treacherously or to trespass is ma'al. And it's to act, it means treachery, sin, falsehood, sorely, grievously, to trespass with great uh, intent. So it's intentional. It's something you know to do better, but you choose something else. And then we uh, talk about rebellion, Isaiah 120. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. And then uh, number seven is to make God bitter by being stubbornly disobedient. You ever had a child and no matter what, they're just going to do exactly what you tell them not to do. That's, oh, and that, and that's, that's hard to, to live with. Uh, and that's marah. It means to make bitter, to rebel. And then this develops into wickedness. And Isaiah 57 says that the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. So it's that constant stirring and churning, and it casts up mire and dirt. So the more it churns and stirs, the filthier it be becomes. And then number eight, to be wicked with strong excitement. You're wicked and you're having fun with it. So you, you're going slowly into more. And that's rasha. And it's morally wrong. Uh, an actively bad person. Uh, we have a similar Hebrew word also translated as iniquity. But you have a, the aleph rather than the ayin. And I'm not going to go into any that kind of depth. But uh, Micah 2.1 says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds when in the morning it's light they practice it because it's in the power of their hand <clears throat> they've already thought about it they've planned it and they get up ready to, to do it and we see people like that today you know there's so many groups and so many individuals that take great joy in causing pain to others uh, aven it's almost that other word but it's aven it means to pant to exert oneself, usually in vain, to come to naught, just to nothingness. And that's number nine. That all of this, you're never satisfied. You're always trying and searching and planning. And then it concludes with the Hebrew word for evil that we see in Genesis 6-5. 
and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that this, that's this word, raw, and it means evil, moral, natural, affliction, calamity. And that's why in Genesis 6, 6, it repented Yahweh that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart that men had fallen to that depravity. The people uh, during Noah's time didn't start here. They started in the very first one of missing the mark and fell into that. So don't ever think that that could not happen to you because it could. And then we see the Tower of Babel incident. And Yahweh said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. I believe that when they were building that Tower of Babel, that they were trying to reach a God. I don't think they truly understood the God would show up. I, I don't know. That's just my understanding of it. But anyway, they were scattered all over the face of the earth at that point where we see the 70 or 72 nations, and they all had their own language at that point. But then we see another group in Acts 2. It's when the day of Pentecost or Shavuot had fully come, fully come. Now, that was 10 days after the ascension of Yeshua. That's during the Omer count, which ends in Shavuot. And they were in one place in one accord, right? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And I imagine at the Tower of Babel, there was a sound from heaven and a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And all the Pentecostal people said, Amen, right? That's, that's their go-to scripture, right? Um, that's <laughs> uh, and it goes on telling that devout men from every nation. So at the Tower of Babel, they were scattered into nations, so now they're gathered together. And uh, there everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then there were others who didn't hear. So isn't that strange? Here's the same group of people. Some heard. Others did not. Why not? We don't know. But they didn't hear. Some did. Some did not. So imagine that if we as a group were in complete unity for 40 days or whatever's left of it, uh, of the Teshuvah season, to be in prayer and repentance, seeking the Father, what could happen? Just a group of us, you know, we could make some major changes, if nothing else, in our own lives and as a group to function the way we're meant to function. Uh, but sincere confession and teshuvah means to confess the sin, be it to God, which you need to, and to others if we've wronged them. Um, and if sin is committed against another person, we really need to take care of that. If you've hurt someone's feelings, you need to take care of that. And then you need to stop it. <laughs> Don't do it. Turn from it. And then sorely regret the sin. Not because you were caught at it. You know, children will get upset and cry if they get caught doing something because they know punishment's coming. But if you have a child who said, you know, Mom, I did this, and I'm so sorry. How different will the punishment be? Yeah? Because the child has realized that they're wrong. You don't have to punish them so harshly to know that they have done something wrong. So regret it before you're caught. Don't, I mean, that should not be the motivation for repentance is fear of being caught. <laughs> uh, and then firmly resolve never, never to repeat the sin, never to return to your vomit or to wallow in your mud because that, that's what it is. But, uh, and I wanted to do this last week or even the week before, but as circumstances would have it, 
we uh, closed for Teshuvah, and then I had some problems with my eye, and I wasn't able to do it again, so I'm two weeks behind. But I would ask that this next week that you read uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and also the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is very, very uh, telling because it's about people who are indifferent to sin. Uh, I've had teenage boys, and they do something completely stupid, and they look at you and go, what did I do? <laughs> like, really? You know, <laughs> at that point you don't care if they know. You just want to hurt them. But <laughs> you know, don't be so stupid. Surely you're not part of my DNA. Surely that's... <laughs> but Malachi is that. You know, it's all about indifference. And then the book of Revelation, really, that's the, the seven assemblies or the seven churches, and it really pinpoints the possibility of what might be in you now. Okay. And then uh, Psalms 27 is supposed to be read every day. Psalm 27. It's, we should have been doing this all along. And again, I, I apologize for I can't apologize for the COVID. <laughs> but I'm, I am sorry that we were not able to start this on time. But also uh, Psalm 51, which Michael read last week, and then Psalm 30, which Sylvia just read. Those are, are all psalms that I have been reading. And then uh, the one that should be first and foremost when you hit the floor every morning is Psalms 139, 23 through 24. And it's search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Test me and see if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That should be a prayer that we say every day, every day at some point. But if we would commit to that, and then next week I'll, I'll go over, I think Joe wants me to do like a 15-minute devo, so then I will be speaking real fast because <laughs> I need to get it out. But uh, we'll go over some of the things in Revelation 2, 3, and also in the, the book of Malachi, okay? And um, if someone could go tell Heather that I just mentioned Revelation, she needed that as a cue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. But that's, that's all that I have today. Huh? Didn't do too bad. Um, if we have any questions, I'm thinking she's getting ready to turn off the, the live stream. Joe, if you're watching, we miss you. Hope you do well. And um, thank you for joining us during this time. Be blessed and shalom. Shabbat shalom.